All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to what I believe is the sixth installment of By the Numbers. I'm looking that up as I talk to you. As always, I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Alex Mab. How are you, Alex? Uh, I survived Fourth of July weekend, and it was very eye-opening. I think I mentioned this on another program that I typically like microdose America, and then I got like a, a really huge dose, like a bolus dose of America over Fourth of July. And I'm like, all right, I'm you done. O- Good. You OD'd on America. Yeah, I, I OD'd really bad, really bad. Like, <laughs> I went to the Fourth of July celebration here, and one of the first things I saw was an up- upstanding gentleman of of fine genetic heritage who had a he was shirtless and he had a pitbull tattoo on his right pectoral and i was like i'm in the right place it's good to be here <laughs> one of my uh one of my pool party members supporter group members rather went to a beach and he was just sending pictures and written descriptions of this beach oh god and it was it was the most intense mix of sort of human detritus of various shades and colors engaged in various uh, activities from drinking to smoking dope to, you know, <laughs> fucking, uh, what's uh, mariachi music? Like, it's, it's just, you know, these huge uh, waves of humanity. Uh, there was another one that was kind of funny. Now that I'm thinking about this, a guy in uh, another supporter group that I'm in for the NJP, he was talking about how he was walking. I don't know where he was, but everywhere he was, he everywhere he was going, he saw waves and waves of brown people in patriotic attire. They they were all decked out, and I said, "Well, it's their country now, right? Like they're cel- they're celebrating their holiday. It's not your country." Well, I mean, this happened with with ancient Rome, right? Like, as the empire declined and they had barbarians living there, and the barbarians they thought they were Romans. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> they're, they're, these people are celebrating their holiday. You know, uh, my comment to him was, uh, "We don't listen. We don't listen to America the Beautiful anymore. Uh, uh, Negro rap music is the new patriotic hymn for the day. Like, just pick right. your song." So yeah, uh, luckily I was not in America for that. However, I've heard a lot, and you, you did seem to be quite a recovering quite difficult yesterday when you were sending me, when you were texting oh, me it, was bad. it was absolutely brutal. It was brutal, because it, it was like, I'm used to seeing small doses of this around rural America, but when you get all of it clustered together at one time, and then you can just kind of absorb the totality of it, right? Like, you look around, and it's a sea of, like, cellulite and tattoos and just bad racial admixtures, all kinds of different <laughs> types of diversity that shouldn't ex- even exist. <laughs> well, you and I talked about this before, and, and I di- I should have asked this yesterday, but it's better to ask you now while we're recording. I noticed last time I was in very truly rural America, and I was at a festival. It was, a, it was actually 4th of July last year. This is funny. Very, very small town. And they did their parade, which is basically like tractors and animals. It's it's kind of cute, like really old Americana, but I remember looking down this main street, and there were two demographics. I, as, you know, like a, a 23-year-old, was basically the only person my age or near my age. The two demographics of people were extremely elderly, very nice white people. Mm-hmm. And their mulatto grandchildren. Yeah. It, like 40% of the children I saw. I see that all, I'm the not time even, all the time. Right. So I'm curious if that's the mix you saw uh, on the 4th. What I saw on the 4th is actually younger. It was generally younger. And like I said, it was mostly what we would call trash. Just human detritus, human debris. Uh, there, there were not as many elderly people as I think it would. It, the, the, the event was at the park, and it seemed to cater more towards mm. families and children, which unfortunately means that the, you end up with uh, undesirables. But, yeah, no, it, it, the age demographics were not really on display as bad as they usually are. I, and I, like I said, I think it's because of the venue. I think it attracted people that tended to be younger, but... What was on display was enormous amounts of obesity, um, just general, just poor breeding. <laughs> it's like I don't really, really know the way to describe it. Like these, these people, 
it's something stronger than chlorine in their gene pool. Because <laughs> you, know? yeah. you like you look around, you're like, okay, maybe maybe ten percent of these people look relatively healthy and normal, and the rest of them, no, no, it's all bad. Because I, I don't want people to think like I was I was like ch- like I wasn't cherry picking when I was taking photos. I mean, I was I was looking for the worst examples, but. Every everyone there generally kind of met that that same level, right? <laughs> they were they were on that that spectrum of of bad tattoos and obesity and just well, obesity, general nastiness. Obesity rates in rural America are horrific. They so have that's been for, the thing. Have been I've, for a while now. I've always wondered about why this seems to be the case. Obesity rates in rural areas are thirty four percent versus like twenty nine percent urban. So it is higher. In rural areas, significantly higher. I've noticed this ever since I was working in EMS. I would go into trailers in beautiful West Virginia, some of the most beautiful places in America, and I would find people who've gotten so fat they had to like cut, take a sawzall, and like cut around the doorways inside the trailer so that they could get back and forth from room to room. And I'm like, why the fuck do you people stay inside? Like, have you looked outside of your trailer? <laughs> have you gone outside? Why? Why is and and it, it, honestly, it just comes down to the types of people who have lived here. And I don't know; people may be offended by this, but they they are trash, and they just don't have like the spiritual apparatus necessary to appreciate being outside, going on a walk, uh, going on a hike, spending time in nature. They they just don't get it. It's like playing classical music to a nigger or something. They don't. It doesn't resonate with them. So yeah, super high rates of obesity. In rural regions, despite them having access to the outdoors, at least ostensibly having access to the outdoors, but they're just not really interested in it. Yeah, so I'm. I very quickly pulled up a very quickly pulled up a, a NIH report. It looks like it's been increasing about four to five percent every decade until about 2010, where it le- <laughs> oh goodness leveled off at 35 percent. Yippee. Um, yeah, I think I think generally that's pretty, that's pretty striking. And women, uh, rural women, it's way worse. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, um, I think overweight statistics, it's like seventy to eighty percent of the country at this point, and then the obesity is like thirty-five ish, thirty to thirty-five somewhere around there. So, like, you, you got a third of people in America that are huge right like just fucking fat <laughs> and then you've got the rest the majority of the rest of the population is just somewhat fat chubby overweight you know they're they're somewhere on the obesity spectrum well there's there's definitely some truth to you know i live in a country where there actually is some state intervention in what is in the supermarket and there is subsidization of fresh vegetable. Like there, some of this stuff matters. Um, but that's that's sort of a that's sort of a topic for another time. Today, yeah, is sort I mean, of, I, I don't know. It's sort the, of the. It's kind of interesting how historically you would have had malnutrition in these areas and starvation, and now you have the exact opposite problem. Now it's gone completely in the other direction. So. And I guess in either case, it's sort of a, an outcome you tend to expect given the the types of people that have historically lived here, the kind of lifestyle patterns they have. And yet again, I know people are going to be kind of mad about this. Oh, he's hating on these these rural people. That's that's ridiculous. He's you know he acts like he's all rich and latest and privileged or something. But if you actually live around them, and you're around these people, you'll have a rather different perspective. Like where I live, I know that there have been attempts by the old-timers community or outdoorsmen to try to get local people interested in doing stuff outdoors, and it's just not possible. You just cannot motivate these kinds of people. If you put Cheetos in front of them, they're going to eat Cheetos. Yeah, I, gonna, you, know, you and I grew yeah. up in very similar environments, though in very different cultural areas of the country, and it's the same way. People, There is a class of people who either having not been taught or through some sort of generally cultural uh, aversion, simply don't go outside and enjoy enjoy things. I luckily I was raised. My father is a huge outdoorsman, 
ruralite his entire life, but massive outdoorsman. And I just, you would have to, I mean, you'd literally have to do a fascism and have the state mandate that at least younger people, right, you know, people in, in youth clubs or whatever, are taken out and, you know, shown biking and hiking. Like, you'd have to, it would require massive intervention because culturally it's just alien to a certain set of the population. I, I think it's maybe more of the culture. It seems like it's it's genetic. Like, you you, you got to know the IQs here cannot be that high because we'll probably talk about the brain drain here in a little bit. But it, a lot of this just seems to be their nature. I mean, it's kind of like the, the saying is there's, you know, there's a difference between being country and being like white trash. Like you can be oh, country. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know there are certain people <laughs> who really dislike when anyone in our circles use that term, but white trash. I am sorry, people. I grew up around them. Alex grew up around them. White trash do exist. They white are trash exist. There are they trash. Exist. I'm not, I'm not saying that they're not our trash, but they do exist and they can generally be very unpleasant. They're extremely unpleasant to be around, and it's hopeless. It is fucking hopeless with these people. I mean, I spent a lot of time going into their residences and saving them from themselves day after day after day after day. <laughs> you know, there's you know, no the, America like the, as America as currently constructed has massive. You know, anyone in these communities, and, and these people used to exist. Anyone in these communities who used to be able to lead either politically or culturally to build things, to do things, to innovate, you know, to, to generally breathe life into these areas has been sucked out by a massive rural brain drain that neoliberalism has been a, a massive cause of. Yeah, because so I think what's going on there is, uh, and I'm just speaking my experience in this part of the country. So where I live, you've got like a lot of Ulster Scots. I know I've mentioned that Ulster Scott thing on another show. Uh, Melungeons, which pretty much just means whites with some degree of Negro admixture. <laughs> you've got essentially kind of a, a trashy genetic pool in general, and those people have just always been in this part of the of the country, right? And they, to an extent, have chosen to live in these regions because they don't want to be bothered and they don't want to be engaged with by the government. Like, government intervention is kind of the other problem, is trying to deal with the class people we're talking about, trying to deal with white trash, is ultimately futile, because the gov the level of government inter intervention you'd actually have to do would be beyond the scope of any kind of practical project. There's no way to get that done. That would just be impossible. And governments have tried in the past they certainly have. They and well, they stay in their hollers and they make moonshine. Or in this case, they make meth now. They used to make moonshine, and they're just extremely hard to to kind of dig out of there. Like they're there for a reason. So that that group of people has always been here. But for right, a long time, you had the differences. All the people who maintained wherever they yeah, lived are now gone. Folks that were just normal rural agrarian people that were normal humans, right? <laughs> just right. normal white people. Uh, you know, good-looking, high IQs, all of that, and over time, they have been stripped away. So what what I see that's left now, because I think you had just mentioned this earlier, is you've got the nicer-dressed, older community, right? You've got the old-timers, and then you just have white trash. Like, that's sort of the split in the rural regions. You've got people that have, they're going to they're gonna die in the house they've lived in their entire lives and they, they're from the old south and then you've got these other people that are, they're just trash and the trash have kind of taken over, they're kind of like kudzu <laughs> I like that, that's good, that's good I mean, I'm looking at a I'm looking at a, a Yale study right now where they're showing uh, uh, how, the rate at which students leave remote yeah. and fringe mm -hmm. communities and some of these are, I mean, 70%, 70%, 77%, 65%. The lowest is 56%. Um, and these are for unincorporated communities in the, in, uh, by the American Census Bureau. And, you know, 28% of those people will leave permanently, as in never for any period of time will they ever resettle where they came from, and most of them leave permanently to, to go through university. 
Yeah, yeah, no. Because so, I've I've had these conversations with the old timers in the in the region, and yeah, they will always tell you that yeah, the kids they move out, they disappear, they never come back. So there there goes your productive people; they just take off. Um, and it was also very interesting. Years ago, I I spoke to a gentleman who was describing the. Because I asked him, I was like, "So when did this place start declining?" And he was like, "Ah, 1950s," and he literally said that it was, you know, it was just greed. It was greed. They didn't want to, <laughs> didn't want to maintain what they had here, and they just let everything go overseas. And it was just all about about greed. So his his like country old timer analysis is actually basically the same as ours. Oh yeah, they know. This is the thing. A lot of people. A lot of people know it, people. Americans aren't dumb. I mean, I was just looking at foreign policy data the other day and people, the highest priority, the second highest priority was protecting American jobs from foreign trade. And the lowest priority was importing skilled labor. Like, <laughs> like six, 16% of people want skilled labor. Like pe- people understand Americans aren't as much as, you can have a conversation with someone and kind of, you know, be slamming your head on the wall because they say they might say a boomery thing. Instinctually, a lot of people get it. Yeah. Yeah. And getting back to this thing about this sort of shift in the population, the rural areas. Like I'm originally from a place called Fairmont, North Carolina. It's in Robeson County, which is one of the poorest places in the entire country. And over town, over time, Fairmont basically transformed from being kind of like Mayberry, you know, just this nice picturesque little little town in, in the flatlands. It has transitioned to the point that now blacks make up about 60% of the population in Fairmont. So, you can imagine what it looks like now. <laughs> like, well, if, a- if, if I say a, a region is 60% black, it's, it's, it's Mogadishu. <laughs> well, this is another thing that's happening is uh, the it, literally, they're calling it quite literally the new great migration. American blacks are moving south again, and they're sort of infilling part they, of these well, areas. Yeah, that's kind of what I get to is like this infilling process. Like if it's a region that's got white trash, they kind of that they do that to some extent. If if, if there's blacks in the region, they do it. Like as as the high quality whites move out, as they as they exfiltrate somewhere else as the kids move away that's what happens is the whatever local trash population you have just kind of festers there kind of takes over and it i don't know when you see it up close and personal it is really depressing it is really really jarring to see that it's very hard to avoid the the sort of (laughs) depressive nature of the demographics of America. Well, you know, I I have a post somewhere. I think on my Carlson tonight, like my just my kind of shit posting Telegram, where I remember getting off the plane. I had not been to America for damn near three years when I visited in 2022. I had been away for three years, and I stepped off the plane in the Detroit airport, and I looked around me. And I thought, oh, my God. Yeah. And I was standing. So the big thing, though, I was standing in the line to go through customs and passport and whatever. And the first thing I noticed was white people were a minority in this line. This was the citizenship line, right? Like, (laughs) I'm an American passport holder. Number one, Uh white people, the minority in this line. Number two... I heard the most incredible range of jibber jabber click clack <laughs> languages imaginable. <laughs> and number three, of the of the white people who were in the line, actually quite a few of them were young. And the thing that that bugged me the most, this is a slight digression. The thing that bugged me the most was that every male in the line, young white male was effectively in how he spoke and how he moved his like was a homo all of them all of them and i remember looking down the line at this one other guy who was wearing like 
work boots and a hat, and we kind of stared at each other. Like, holy, <laughs> holy shit! Like, Are you seeing fuck? this? <laughs> yeah, it was so. But but it's like the 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 state of everything is so jarring. I mean, it was jarring to me a good fifteen years ago. I remember going to Fairmont to stay with my grandma because she she was getting cancer treatment, so I was driving her to the hospital at the time. So I stayed down there for a few days. And so I went on a little tour of Fairmont, and of course, every business is vacant, like just gutted. It's a ghost town, except it has blacks. It's a ghost town full of ghost face killers. Like that's what it is. And so much of rural America looks like that. You because you, it, it's depressing for two reasons. Like you see the complete desolation in terms of like local economies, uh, any any sort of business. Right, which we got operation. into. Yeah, we got into in detail in the first episode of. The yeah, show. yeah, and then then you look at the people and you're like, wow. So it's either elderly people that are about five minutes from going to the funeral home, and it's some some species of trash, whether it be white or black or what have you, and that's it. Yeah, there's no one. There, again, there's no one left to maintain a community, and I think. You know, when you have normal, average, intelligent folks who inhabit an area, they can maintain everything to enough of a degree that when you drive through Main Street, you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> this is normal. This is fine. Yeah, it's a Main um, Street. <laughs> you know, you know about you know about sort of the trash and they're they exist, but they're not that big of an issue. But when that population goes away you're only left with the people who who the weeds right yeah th that's the great way of putting it right and and it's amazing and you know, there are going to be people who are very angry that we're sort of hating on an entire demographic of of white people but for me it's not really about hating on them it's more that we have removed the productive population from a massive swath of the country and left these areas to rot. And we've left, we've left entire demographics of people to rot. Well, you say rot, and they actually call this the rot belt in North Carolina. Like these areas, it used to be little tobacco towns, stuff like that. That's it's the rot belt, not the rust belt. Well, no, no. Yeah. I'm Google. I'm Googling this. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It is a thing. <laughs> All right. That's fascinating. Yeah, and if you if you drive through there, I mean it's the the buildings are literally rotting. Stuff is just rotting apart. Because you know it's a it's a hot, humid, damp state, so <laughs> everything falls in upon itself. Like uh, uh, I was watching a, a guy driving through Fair Bluff, which isn't far from where I live down there, and he drives down the main street, which you still have intact buildings. There's no businesses in them, but the buildings are intact. And then you go behind the main street, and it looks like maybe the skeletal remains of tobacco, uh, oh, God, warehouses or something. Some kind of warehouses, but they're just skeletonized. They're falling in on themselves. It's honestly a safety hazard. And it's like, well, they, they just don't have the money to clean up this stuff because there's no tax base. Well, yeah, well, this is the other thing about the brain drain is you, you, there's the local government, whatever's left of it has absolutely no money to take care of the sort yeah. of throngs of, uh, you know, the, the, the weed population that's left behind. Yeah. Cause one of the other things that they run into in these regions is, so your trash will do things like run meth labs, they'll contaminate a house and they don't have the resources to even clean up the meth lab correctly. So, so I guess near Nim House. <laughs> near where this reminds me of the story, near where I grew up, I had to only be ten or eleven at the time this happened. They found some very enterprising uh youths of uh, actually they were Hispanics and whites. It was like a mixer one of those rare mixed race gangs. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I've got they a story. buried they buried two trailers as like like the people live in like a proper trailer mm -hmm. underground and one of them exploded <laughs> and killed like three people like it, it was it was pretty wild 
but they were mass manufacturing. Wow. It, I had to have been meth. Right, right. So but illicit yeah. substances, and they were they were manufacturing it in absolutely huge amounts down there, and one of them blew up. Yeah, yeah, because the mixed race thing, there, there's, uh, in Robinson County, was, there was a news story years ago, there was a gang that was, like, literally, you got, you had one white trash guy, you had one nigger, and then you had, like, an Indian, like, an actual, like, Lumbee Indian. It's like, oh, it's the, it's the perfect trifecta. <laughs> you have, like, the triumvirate of, of rural, like, North Carolina trash together in a violent gang. Now, I was going to ask, because where Fairmont is, isn't that near that county in in north carolina where for some reason a bunch of a bunch of indians live yes 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 i have been to the lumbee homecoming you're talking about the, yeah the lumbee indians that's that's yeah. where they're, they're located um god what is the name of that town i've i've been to the homecoming event that's in that town for a, to do a memorial bike ride actually uh it's a big deal man like all of all of these various people with maybe 5% Indian admixture will all show up, they'll all pile in. <laughs> I just remember I was flabbergasted the first time I discovered this, I was doing Pembroke. Sort of, Pembroke uh, is where it happens. Yeah. Yeah, Pembroke, North Carolina. Yeah, Lumbee homecoming. Do, it is an all-week thing. It's huge. I was doing some sort of policy research. They might have even been a paper for university. And I was looking at the demographic spread of American Indians and all there's this one super bright high concentration blob in North in sort of Western or North Carolina. And I'm like, what the hell? What what are are those people doing there? Um, (laughs) Yep. And those are the, uh, the Lumbee. Remarkable. But anyway, well, it's, it's fascinating. We both sort of mentioned the, the mixed race gang trash because i do think to some degree when you get to a certain level of poverty and deculturization races can somewhat be set aside particularly if it's a rural area yeah now i think i think that sort of is on a trajectory of a general kind of cultural decay because i think a hundred years ago interbreeding and that kind of thing i think that was still frowned upon Oh yeah, people. It, it wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have yeah. happened sixty years ago. Hell. Yeah, yeah, and that you could certainly point the finger at, at the small hat gang on that one because I know in Whitfield, Virginia, for example, they early nineteen twenties they had lynched someone that was uh, accused of impregnating a white girl, and then a a certain newspaper <clears throat> with a Jewish journalist ran with the story and made it into a big deal until eventually the state of Virginia had to intervene and pass a bunch of anti-lynching laws. So you could draw a direct, direct, I think, connection to certain small hat influences and the general cultural decline regarding kind of like the, the intermixing of various races. I think that is, I think it's a reasonable uh, conclusion you could come to (laughs) certainly. And that has changed kind of the character of of things to an extent, because I know we wanted to get into the other, the other topic of this is the kind of the white, what's uh, the best way to say this? The uh, southernification is a word people like to use for what's happening. Yeah, but it's culture, not. But it's, it's not adequate. It doesn't really cover it because it's more like a niggerification. Like it's yeah, more of a right. I would agree. <laughs> and it, it's such a long history, right? Because if you really start thinking about it. You you look at country music, right? What was it? The nineteen seventies. You started to get outlaw country music, which essentially is like white trash ballads. You know about? Oh yeah, I can I can I can sing you from memory the entirety of honky tonk badonky donk. I I know the whole thing, right? Like just from my childhood. Well, that's more recent one. <laughs> oh, but it, but it's a fantastic <laughs> example of the sort of trash country. I mean, it's, it is it is one of the most white trash songs you can pop. Have you ever listened? Yeah, <laughs> you ever listened to that whole song? Oh my I, god! Unfortunately, yes. Oh my god! It's it's something. Yeah, because you know, as a uh, as a younger man, I would spend quite a bit of time in bars, and I would be forced to listen to it. Oh yeah, I wanted to or not? Probably, probably, you could probably sing it from memory too. Jesus, yeah, I'd um, forgotten about it. I think. Oh, I'm sorry. 
<laughs> I've, not, I've, not, I've now plagued you. Um, <laughs> and it's worse this, now. That's that was like sort of the the tip of the spear. <laughs> you got the whole. Oh shaft. yeah, I'm sure. I have I have I have heard country rap, like multiple country rap songs, when I've been in the U.S. The other thing I noticed is a bit of an aside. There's now like country feminist music. Oh no. You know how, I mean, of course, you know, country music generally, even until very recently, was generally about, like, treating women well, finding a nice girl. Uh, well, see, doing, I, I'm older than you. Attra- sexually yeah, I grew, attracting I grew up... women with a tractor um, was yeah. a big one. But oh, yeah, yeah. There, I heard this song, just, just finish real quick on my end. I don't remember the artist. I couldn't probably even tell you. But the song was all about, was a country song, but it was all about how this woman could buy her own drinks, dance by herself, be her own best company, and don't you dare try to call me a cab home after I'm shit-faced drunk. I can take care of myself. Yeah. Like country feminist music. That one off. Yeah. It kind of it kind of uh, caught me off guard. I'm like, this is new. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cuz I was I was going to say that um I grew up in the 90s listening to 90s country music, which it seemed like a split was happening then. You had kind of the 80s and 90s era of country where it was becoming mainstream to an extent. You started to get like the arena country of Garth Brooks, but this was still more or less country music. Songs about rodeos, uh, the, 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 the beauty of the, the rural life, you know, bands like Alabama that were just sort of like just singing about country life, right? But then it started at some point to just morph into a niggerfied version of itself, and it became increasingly trashier and trashier and trashier. And like I said, you had you had outlaw country, which in retrospect was itself re- relatively trashy. But I don't know if that's like really the direct lineage to it because it it feels like in the two thousands you started to get stuff that was really really being culturally influenced by black stuff, like it was being well, right. influenced Rural by America- black. Rural yeah. America was not insulated from the 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 darkening, as I like to call it. Right? I mean, urban kids listen, or suburban white kids rather, listen to rap, and they, you know, they they say things like "On God" and "For Real" and "Shade," which all come from it's all black speak, all of it. Yeah. Um, but rural white people, and I, I complain about this all the time. And I generally used the term southernification, but it's you are more correct in that it's a negrification. And all of a sudden, in the past like five years, when I go home to the areas I'm familiar with in Michigan, people are saying, y'all, they're talking with a fake southern affectation. And it's the most like I can't it's the most ridiculous shit I have ever heard and experienced. Yeah. Yeah. I've also been to like towns just outside of cities and seen white people walking around in cowboy hats in Michigan. Like we don't wear cowboy hats. (laughs) It's this, it's a remarkable cultural homogenization. Should have cowboy hat unless you have a horse. But anyway, yeah, the, (laughs) I I feel like what has happened, like, because this kind of fits into the general theme here is that the, sort of the, the higher class whites in the region have either died off or left or their kids have left, et cetera. So you've, you've lost that sort of more higher cultured class. I don't know. It's, it's not like they were elitists. I mean, to no, me, it just it feels like a, they were normal. Just, culture. Yeah. Just country folks, which were respect, respectable folks, right? Respectable folks. Yeah, I think respectable folks really encapsulates it. So that's gone, and it feels like the cultural landscape is now just trash culture for trash people. Well, they celebrate. This is the other. This is the thing that I really, I truly blame um, the sort of worship of the Black American for is that being trash and ghetto and any of these sort of stupid labels is now something to celebrate. Yeah. People now celebrate this. And it, yeah. it it's something like, that first it was black people. First it was black people who were, I'm proud, you know, the, however uppity they 
tend to be. But now everyone is proud of being some sort of trashy Shaniqua esque uncultured swine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just being utterly tasteless. Uh, tasteless uh, is a good way to put it, and and you know that affects. I have noticed that affects even even sort of well to do middle class white people have become crass tasteless they don't know like they they talk about subjects at the at the table that no one no polite person would have talked about 30 years ago yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah and just of course the manner of dress now, the really disturbing thing slight tangent here the, the disturbing thing i noticed at the fourth of july thing i've noticed this increasingly is I see I see girls like underage girls that are dressed now to the point where like I saw somebody in short shorts with like the fly undone. And this so was I complain like I complained yeah. about this in that same in a long post on that same my last trip to the US. I complained about this. I was walking around we went to some blimp thing. It was actually really cool in the town where my parents live now. And I was seeing, like, they couldn't have been more than 13 or 14. Short Shorts show short. Their entire ass is hanging out. They are wearing, like, shirtlets. It's not a shirt. It's like a shirtlet. Right. It's a, a band of fabric covering what would be their breath. You know, I don't like... It's an awkward subject to even talk right. about. But you look, you look around and you're like, what? I don't feel like I'm a, I'm like a crotchety old man. Be like, oh, these young kids, you know, they don't no, dress I right. don't think I don't think so. I don't think so either. Because what I, I saw, I what I saw was a situation where someone had had to have had on a g string or something, and it's like your upper pubic area is exposed by your outfit, and you can't be more than like fourteen. Right. Like you know, I don't think I'm crotchety either. I think yoga pants are God's gift to Earth, but I, you know. I I have been continually shocked in America in particular seeing very young girls dress like this and now all the I, I I say this we've taken this for the British all the young men now wear sweatshirts and sweatpants and just look like slobs um and I'm like okay <laughs> yeah right this this is very interesting and kind of sad and I I don't know what to make of this and it. You, there's just no high call. Any sort of polite culture just seems to have died. Yeah, it's the respectability. There isn't like no sense of anyone trying to be respectable. Well, you know, I, I actually this ties into something I said to someone in my my supporter group the other day. He posted something about oh, a, a guy posted on Reddit or someone posted something about how they told their partner how many men they'd slept with and their partner was disgusted with them. And a guy in my supporter group who's really, I love this guy a lot, but he's like, I can't imagine, you know, I want my dignity. And I said, no one get, you don't get dignity in liberalism. <laughs> liberalism, to, to, it didn't happen to him. He was just saying generally, um, you don't get any dignity in liberalism. Liberalism deprives every human being of dignity because you're the one who's wrong if you impose a moral system on anyone else. Yeah, yeah, and once you get to, I think, to a certain critical mass, it becomes impossible for anyone to try to be dignified, because what's the point? If literally everyone around you is dressed like a slob, if you try to be respectable, now you're going to you're gonna be the weird one, right? Well, <laughs> yeah, uh, in, in a liberal system, in a liberal system, you are the one who is wrong for attempting to impose any sort of uniform social or behavioral order. Because who the hell who who the hell do you think you are? You you're not allowed to judge the lifestyle of other people. Yeah, it's it's, it's almost like if I if I were to dress up, and I do know how to dress up, but if I were to dress up and walk around my town, I'm pretty sure people would think like, who does this guy think he is? Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> he thinks he's better than us. Yes, exactly. There's no there's no common moral framework anymore because liberalism deprives people of that. Yeah, and it, it just becomes like a, an escalating, cascading sort of uh, cycle. It just feeds in on itself. Yes. 
which sort of brings us around to, we talked about this very briefly before starting, which is in order to fix any of it, right? Because we don't just want to leave people with the doom hour, um, even though that, that can be very fun. And I enjoy that sometimes. Yeah. Um, you know, in order to fix any of this, it would require like a literal sort of r- mental and physical recolonization project. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I feel like we've been a little bit light on, on facts. I'm just toss them out real fast. Uh, rural areas have lost 195 hospitals since 2005. So these are like material losses that are occurring. Like you're losing that kind of thing. Uh, brain drain, rural area brain drain is a real trend. Absent regional effects. Metropolitan areas have gained college-educated workers. Expensive non-metropolitan and rural areas. Uh, in addition, brain drain goes hand-in-hand with population decline. Only 11% of counties lost population between 1970 and 2000. These counties, 96% experienced brain drain, and 95% were non-metropolitan or rural. <clears throat> so that's sort of the the situation. Of course, that's going to go hand-in-hand with our, our other shows where we've discussed, like, the decline of farming and things like that. Like, these these areas have have been sort of just desolated over time. They've been desolated and broken down. Well, imagine what it does to a community to you lose your, let's say you have two doctors. You've lost your two doctors. You've lost the nurses. You've lost the bank. Let's say your bank, you know, it's just an mm-hmm. automated. T- I've been to towns where there's no bank. It's just an ATM. So yep. you've lost, you've lost the people at the bank. You've, you've lost any sort of functional, social, generally upstanding class of people who would engage Yeah, yeah, you've lost that that economic nexus. Yeah, and I, the only way you would literally have to the state would have to say, okay, we are reopening this hospital, we're reopening this bank, we're going to you people need employment, so we're going to build a lumber mill here, um, we're going to build a warehouse. You know, it it, it would take this really incredible sort of state inter- <laughs> state intervention to to attempt and bring these areas back. You'd be yeah, not. You- You'd be knocking yeah, I down guess, buildings. It'd be yeah. That would be the problem, though, right? It's like where would you get those? You would have to reallocate those resources federally or something. You'd have to come in with an external force, like an actual uh, external group of people with resources to do it, because the, the local economy doesn't exist anymore. So there's no local oh, yeah, funding to do any of this. You'd be you'd be trucking stuff in i'm not i'm not and saying people the, yeah and people yeah oh yeah, yeah that's the yeah. point i mean literally i think you used the term when we were talking off the air recolonization yeah that's what yeah i think that's the best way to describe it. you'd have to recolonize these towns and you'd have to start over virtually from scratch you might have some pre-existing uh road systems and maybe train tracks you can use maybe a few buildings you might have a couple of nice churches because usually the churches are like the, la- the last nice thing to go in these places um but aside from that you're you are literally gonna have to start over with so much of the region because the houses and the factories and the warehouses they have literally collapsed they have rotted apart you need to bulldoze them well, it's it's uh, in Michigan. We say it's a thousand tiny Detroit's. Yeah, it's just it's, stuff has been allowed to rot and fall apart. And we talked about this on the previous episode. And this is something I like driving home to people, you know, because people will say, "Well, that's sort of an unrealistic vision of you know recolonizing rural America." Well, my response to you is the same thing I said on the last show, which is. To rebuild any part of this country requires the most radically different vision as compared to what we are all familiar with living with. Like, I don't know. I There is well, no... Wait, wait a minute. Why, why would it be harder to recolonize a region? Why would this be more difficult when you think about the fact that originally this place was nothing but dirt? Like, it was completely barren <laughs> at least now you do have some some level of structure some kind of infrastructure there there are roads there are train tracks now there they have some something you could work you're not actually starting completely from scratch like you've got a little bit to work with you've got more than what the colonists had i just think i tend to run into people who are who are uncomfortable with the idea of like massive state 
uh, intervention and trying to, you know, save an area. Especially if it's some sort of new proposal, which is essentially what we're talking about. But I don't. I can't think of any other way to do it. You can, you're not going to naturally entice anybody to return to these areas through just sort of a a, a poster campaign or something. Like it's not going to happen. Or tax cuts? You mean tax cuts won't? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, this is the other thing. Rural. There have been these sort of half-assed attempts to keep these areas alive. Um, in a lot of states, it's uh, high-speed internet. You there oh are God, all yeah. o- all over America. There are totally collapsed dead and or dying villages of elderly people in white trash who have nothing going for them and they have like the most incredible high speed internet mm-hmm. yeah. because th- yeah. that's their state government's solution it's usually the state sometimes it's the local now, government I've been, too I have been in a board of supervisors meetings meetings where they have brought this up and I'm like, hey, we're going to do this with the rural uh, broadband internet access. And I'm like, do, do y'all actually go out into the rural areas? Do you, <laughs> clearly you don't, if you think that that's what they need. Right. It's, I, there are sort of these really ridiculous <laughs> feeble attempts. I've, I, there was a huge meeting, the town I grew up in just before my family ended up moving. Cause we all, we all grew up. One of the last, one of the last things they were doing was they were trying to put together a massive tax cut and subsidy package for a brewery. <laughs> yeah, a brewery. <laughs> a brewery. Oh, yeah, it would have been small. It would have been like in a building downtown. Um, they ended up picking a different town anyway. Um, but it's, it's stuff like this. Yeah. And it's, it's not a serious. It's yeah, not it's a so serious. Half-assed. Right. <laughs> The seri- the serious thing would be for some very large level of government, either either the state or in a lot of for for the resources required the federal government to say, all right, every small town either needs to submit a report or we're, a lot of places you're going to have to go write it because there's no one there who'd be able to write it. Um, say this is what the town has, this is what the town used to have, and then you'd have to come up with a plan for literally every locality in america to build uh, to build some sort of productive uh, industry base again mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i mean like the, the the places where i start to see people moving back into them which it's kind of interesting because you have libtards that are recolonizing some of these small towns some of these places because of the proximity to like a uh, an uh, economic base right because they they don't like the crowded living in the the urban areas, so they start thinking to themselves, "Oh well, you know, the commute from this little town just outside of this region that's not that bad, and it's a nice, quiet place to live." So you do see some of this. It's it's very very interesting. Of course, it it changes the character quite a bit because you end up with uh, liberal people, very liberal minded people moving into these regions, which are effectively colonized by, or not colonized, but currently. Currently, sort of propped up by like this this very conservative, sort of like trashy subculture, and now you've got like a like the highfalutin libtard moving in next door. Oh yeah, and, well th- these are, these are the people who either can uh, work remote, who can, who can work yeah. remotely, or are sudden they're suddenly a class after the 2020 George Floyd riots. There is suddenly a class of people who are willing to drive an hour for work and it doesn't bug them. Mm-hmm. So they yeah. have, they have and colonized sort of this, this like 50, 60 minute ring around the, the highway belt of any major city. And to be honest, I, I will say this about the Liptards. They do tend to appreciate the outdoors more than locals. They absolutely do. Which yet again, I wonder why, like why, why do you need broadband and internet access to be prioritized if you live in a region where it's like the, the, the biggest, nicest thing about it is usually the outdoors, right? Like that's kind of like the hallmark of living in a rural area. It's usually you're, you're near something interesting. It's like an outdoor feature, but no, you should stay inside and look at Pornhub on your computer all day. <laughs> there are people who will take that recommendation. They will. Um, <laughs> they will. It, 
<laughs> no wonder they love the new high speed internet. Yeah, um, I mean, again, isn't, that, again, isn't that funny though? It's like so blue. The Blue Ridge Mountains need more high speed internet. Why go outside? <laughs> well, you know, it's again, it it comes down to we have left behind, really left behind is a better word, I think, left behind the last class of people who I don't think because of of their cultural state where they live just doesn't matter. They behave the same way, no matter where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, because the entire, because, you know, neoliberal economics and the, the gutting of everything that isn't a major city has just left America with this landscape of very depressingly poor, both in mind and body people. Because we've shoved everyone else into suburbs, and suburbs are another thing. I so, mean, isn't this sort of the, the structure of the United States is effectively resembles something like a um, a mycelium, like a, a ring, like a, a fairy ring, like mushrooms, right? Because it's like the cities are burned out husks in, in terms of like the 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 actual city right. is bad. You don't mean the city. You want to be on the outskirts of the city, but not too far, because then you're in the burned out rural area. So you, uh, it feels like you just have like these sort of perimeters. <laughs> yeah, we we do. And they occasionally shift, yeah, slightly further out, <laughs> yeah. because because the 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 inner city population will shift slightly further out. Um, but yes, that is America is effectively. I think that's a good way to conceptualize it. America is effectively a, a series of relatively well-to-do rings around major urban areas. Than to be surrounded by incredible, you know, sort of denatured rural poverty. Yeah, and it's and, just, and we built this intentionally. You and I have talked about this. Yeah, it doesn't have to be like this. I mean, like these these uh, these small town regions, they they were self sufficient. They were they actually were self perpetuating. Well, they had something to give. They had, they, they, they have produced, yeah they, they produced had local economies. something and they. They could they produce produced, everything you needed. They produced something, and any excess was put on rail lines. Almost every small town in America is connected by rail. It's amazing. I mean, America, it, America still has the densest rail network of any country in the world, even today. To to me, you're trying to create a, or at least encourage a model to regrow of having like kind of the small town America. That's significantly more sustainable than this current model of just building more and more suburbs that are connected by street systems to where you work and then to where you eat. Like the small town, in theory at least, is a better model overall. You know, I I don't remember where I wrote this, but to me there are two organic, truly organic human settlements. Number one is the small town. Number two is the city. Like a, a proper city with blocks and, you know, rows of building, like a continuous cityscape, a real city. Now, I, I'm not a, I've never, I've lived in one before and I'm not a city guy. I don't know like that. I, I prefer to live in a town and if I have to commute to the city, that's what I do. Um, because a nice city can be good for a cultural outing occasionally. Um, but. Cities and small towns are actual natural human habitats. We had to invent the suburb, literally the Levittown. It had to Mm -hmm. be invented. This is a whole episode I want to do one day, because you and I have talked about this at length before. The Levittown was invented, and then America generated an aspirational culture to get people to live in them. Right, it right. Was, it, is... it was an artificially propped up thing that suburbs, Levittown style suburbs, are a place to live. And we we have blanketed massive portions of the country in these things. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think there's like there's copes on both sides of the equation on that one too, because people will tell you that the suburbs are an attempt to escape blacks, and I'm like, that's simply not true of the whole country. It, may, it might be for specific areas, but it doesn't explain why in states that where the suburbs were taking place in that were majority white, why you would have a suburb unless it was well, right. just there, a, there are multiple yeah. causes. I completely, it, I completely it, 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 understand. Yeah. 
I completely understand why someone in in Newark or New York or New Haven or Boston, like Atlanta, I totally get suburban flight, and I have no doubt that it was due to the demographic situation in those cities. I am I'm not arguing that for a moment. But Omaha, mm-hmm. like Omaha yeah. has has a massive, huge suburban sprawl ring around it I, gargantuan yeah and, and it was the suburban suburbians uh lifestyle was being marketed overseas too like there were other countries that were literally 100 percent white and they were building suburbs or oh yeah yeah it, 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 this was a phenomenon that was happening all over the place and it's like so many things it was just it was something being marketed to people it was being sold to them and they were buying it well we yeah we engineered an aspirational lifestyle uh suburbs i i am of the opinion that american auto culture now i'm not saying it's wrong to like cars i like cars but the sort of the whole thing you get in we talked about this last episode very briefly you wake up in your house where it's just you and your family you get in your car where it's only you you drive to work where you see the same people you turn around and you do the same thing mm-hmm. you may be you may be stopping a drive through we yep. deliberately engineered a culture, an aspirational culture where we have sold people that this is the way to live. When I uh, I am of the opinion that it's an incredibly unnatural way to live. It's incredibly unnatural, and it atomizes people, and it would prevent any, any sort of like revolutionary change from taking place. But and it, it helps ensure that you're removed from any kind of organic network. It, you it don't know your, you. You, you don't know your neighbors. You don't, you know, you, you don't walk through downtown and even if, you know, you see Bob and even if Bob isn't your neighbor, you've seen him every day for 30 years. Like, that's not a thing that happens anymore. Mm-hmm. Third, what is it? Third places. They call them third places just simply don't exist in large portions of America. There is no local pub. Yeah, yeah. See, I, I I could go off on so many tangents about weird things I've noticed about America, and this this is small town areas too. So this isn't just because all the blacks are the reason it's like this, but lack of things like park benches, places to sit down in public, isn't that kind of weird that you just don't ever see any kind of bench? Because what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to drive to a store, go in the store, do your shopping, get in your damn car, and drive home. You're not supposed to be out for a stroll. To be out on the town, <laughs> you're not supposed to just be out and about, and occasionally perhaps want to sit down and read a newspaper or something. You're supposed to be consuming or working, and if you're not doing that, you better be back at your house. Right. Consume work, personal. Uh, consume work, hyper reality. Those are your three yeah. options. I, I completely agree, and uh, as I've said a few times now, this is something I want to do. I want to dedicate so, a whole episode on. I want to do data. something, yeah, on especially automobile culture because there's a lot to to unpack and examine there. Because like like the other problem with automobile culture is that it, it takes all of your local transportation routes, which historically have been kind of for everybody, and it makes it just for cars, and it prevents people from being able to even go outside. Oh, I have, a, I have a whole <laughs> I have a whole lecture. I have a whole lecture about how. How we have we have not built a, a world for people. We have we demolished humanity to make room for the car. Yeah, because it, it turns the outside world in many areas into a type of desert. Because if you just want to walk to a place, well, now you're going to be out on a, a busy road with cars, and there's no oh. shoulder, so you're just going to it's going to be intimidating to you, at least to most people. Right, and we rammed this. My big pet peeve is having we rammed America. Europe didn't do this as much, if at all. America, I hate Dwight D. Eisenhower. Yeah, fucking hate Dwight D. Eisenhower. Ran highways right through cities. People will say stuff like, "Ain't no roads for cars." Like, no, it's not. And the thing that you don't understand because you never really thought about this question is, say someone wanted to get from point A to point B without using this road, how would they do it? Oh, they can't. People have no choice in the matter. There are hilarious, people have taken um, hilarious suburban sprawl in Florida and they've picked two houses that physically are like 100 feet apart, but it would take three hours 
to attempt and walk it <laughs> because of how the road network is. I mean, I don't know the suburbia thing. The 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 way they design those roads anyway to cut down on the through traffic. It's like this is awful. Like to drive, even to drive through it, it's terrible. Now, Florida, I will I will say this now, Florida. I I don't think we could. I don't think Florida is rescuable. It it is so bad. <laughs> I don't think. No matter no matter if you were going to re-engineer society, I just don't think you could. Uh, think you could you, I think you. The, you need bulldozers for Florida. I think that's the only only solution there. But I, I know the yeah, sprawl that you're much. talking about. I've I've seen those satellite photos. That stuff. I know. So it's it's like a crime against humanity. It's remarkable, and 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 people have been led to believe that happiness is owning a a home that is completely fenced off from all of your neighbors who you never see or meet. Mm-hmm. I, I yes. don't see my neighbors. I want to sit down in front of my television set and turn on Netflix. Right. Yet we live in a society where people always say words like community. Community is thrown around by every politician and NGO and activist. Like, but it doesn't exist except for essentially us, the NJP, TRA, like, intention we had to intentionally work to build intentional communities and that's fine and having a community is great and i am uh, i wouldn't want to be anywhere else but previously you didn't have to work intentional communities were very rare now they're the only kind of community yeah, yeah, and the, the the intentional communities always have sort of a, an artificial feel to them in the places where they've tried to consciously do this sort of thing it's it's hard to get that to work the way it's supposed to right at least we're connected by a shared sort of vision in politics and culture and it i really uh, really quite enjoy yeah yeah I'm, I'm thinking of places like uh versions of like the villages or something in florida oh like god the, art, the villages the, the artificial oh my community. lord it's the oh astroturf community or like you I ever go to these yeah, <laughs> my grand my grandparents visited the villages last year, and they still talk about it. How much they loved it. <laughs> I'm like, oh god, they're gonna they're gonna move to the. I'm gonna have to go <laughs> visit the fucking villages. And for anyone who doesn't know, because a lot of people think this the villages is a generic term for retirement communities. No, the villages is actually a several hundred square mile singular massive stretch of suburban sprawl homes inhabited by people who are boomer 55 plus generally over 65 with many 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 i can't say many enough times golf courses weaved in between the sprawl and a great deal of artificial downtowns where old people drive their golf carts. Like there's, there's no industry. There's nothing productive. There's it so is there's, ju- there's something me and my wife are talking. There's something with like the, the boomer generation, particularly where the, they're okay with sort of corporate stuff like corporate hotels. Cause we, Occasionally, we'll have relatives come and visit us, and the boomers don't want to stay in the local hotel that's been here forever. It's actually kind of like a historic landmark. They want to stay in like a, a I don't know, a, a Days Inn or something. Like they, that type of stuff that to us feels very artificial and off-putting to them, it's like comforting or something, and they're okay with it. Like well, the lack of authenticity doesn't bother them. It's the well, they grew up in what. Uh, what the British called the affluent society, which was this massive, this incredible increase in personal wealth after the Second World War. And you couldn't build local inns fast enough, so you had, like, the days in. And they just, boomers just grew up with this stuff. It's what they know. They were never, you know... They weren't taken to the local inn. They were taken to the days in. Like it's just, it's just what they know. And now we have entire massive senior communities <laughs> with, yeah. with this stuff. Yeah. Anyway, uh, any final thoughts? We are, we are up against our hour. 
Um, I, I, I think that the, the these these places, like these towns, I don't know if saving is the right word. Obviously, talking about recolonizing it. These are they can be very nice places to live. They can tend to be low crime. I know I've talked a lot about white trash, but generally, white trash don't. They'll commit too many homicides. They, they, they tend to engage in kind of low-level, basic levels of crime. Um, they, they, are, they can be very nice places to live. And it is something that is – like if you, if you have an appreciation of, of being outside, of being in nature, that kind of thing, these are great places to go to. They're fantastic. They're worth they're worth having a civilization dwelling there. Like I don't – Oh, yeah. I, I don't, completely agree. I don't think I could, I could possibly relate to the idea – that we should just have giant mega farms producing all of the produce and the meat and everything while we live in little filing cabinets and then go into an urban area. I don't care how nice the urban area is. That lifestyle to me is disturbing. I don't like it. I would agree. I, you know, I, I like now I'm sure I'm like an urban planning nerd. So I love a really nice design, nicely designed place to live, but it doesn't have to be a city of, 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 you know, 150,000 people, you can have a very nice, nicely designed, pleasant to live in small town. And that's just, I have always found value in these areas. And one of the reasons I complain about the state of them so much is because I want them to be nice because I want to live there. (laughs) And that's, that's, that's really my bit. So uh, thank you everyone. And we'll see you next time.